0: This is Train to Perform, the undisputed alpha podcast in training fitness and sports performance. Here, you'll develop your skills with the cold, hard facts in fitness, sports performance, recovery, and nutrition. Real, tried and true, evidence-based facts that have been proven to move you faster, move you stronger, and move you forward. Now, here's your host of Train to Perform, Julian Sissman.
1: Hey guys, welcome back to the Train to Perform podcast. Today we have Derek Henson, a speed coach um he has uh he's pretty well known um around the the country um even though he lives in Canada um he uh works with a lot of pro athletes um has been working with the Kansas City Chiefs for about 4 or 5 years now um works with um a number of different MLS players um and um you know college players college programs um, and just helping consult and help them, um, you know, with their training programs and, you know, giving coaches ideas on how to prepare athletes for, you know, track um, for sports. So soccer, football, um, basketball, and, um, you know, pretty much every sport. Um, We touch um, so much from youth Athletes to pro athletes, different um, philosophies, um, especially from somebody that is pretty well known um, that he worked with for many years. Um, his name is Charlie Francis, um, former track coach in Canada. Um, we again we talk about fitness, track, uh, speed work, how often to do it, um, so much more. So. I don't want to tell you everything but I hope you guys enjoy it um please again rate review when you finish listening um, and I hope to hope you have a good rest of the day thank you
2: what got you to where you are I know I know you are are known as the a guy that does a lot of stuff on speed work um, but you know that's one obviously component to the whole like performance st- side of things um so just I guess you can start off by saying, you know, you know, what kind of where'd you where'd you start and you know why you are where you are.
3: Um, yeah, I, I I guess a lot of it does start from the fact that I was a track and field athlete from a very young age. And you know, that made it a lot easier to really understand the value of, you know, training for running faster. Because mm-hmm. that's that's pretty much, you know, and um I was talking to somebody about it the other week, uh, somebody I went to like elementary school with. And I said, well, most of the people that coached me weren't very good, <laughs> um, you know, and, and and that's not, that's not, you know, you know, a, a knock against them. It's just, they didn't know. So as a, you know, and some of it might've worked out just because of, by accident, but certainly, you know, you go out and you run track, and they make you run a lot. Like they, they make you run lots of long distance stuff, and do all sorts of things that you know probably got you fit. In in um, and then even just going to race people, like you go to a track meet. I think that probably was one of the better things. Like you got to go out and race and test yourself, and
2: mm-hmm.
3: and even as a youngster, you're like, okay, I got to go race. Like, oh, I'm nervous and. Um, you're kind of putting yourself out there. Whereas if you go play soccer or basketball, I mean, you're still putting yourself out there, but it's not just you, right? It's not you against, you're not going to be exposed. Like if you run a race like 100 meters and you get dusted, like, well, you came last, right? <laughs> um, so I think even that, even, even even understanding the value of that competition was pretty important from a very early age. Um, and then as you get older, you kind of, you know, you start thinking about like, okay, can I do this better? What's a better way to do this? And really, it wasn't until you get to university that you're really, because before that, you just got better every year, like at least in track and field and even in any sport, because you're growing all the time. And um, I can remember literally expecting to be better by, you know, a second in the hundred or a, a meter in like, the long jump or triple jump or something like that. Or like, I, I would just jump farther. You're like, okay, and it's next year. And I'm like, oh, I'm jumping farther. Yeah. Woo. Training program works. And it's like, no, no, like, you know, you're, you're growing and, 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 you know, hormones and testosterone work pretty well, I guess. Um, so I, I, I think that was something that I always expected. I always expected to get better. And even when I was in university, I got better every year too. Um, so that's, that's kind of an expectation that whatever training program I'm going to use with somebody, they sure as hell better get better. And, um, that kind of comes with the territory. So if you go through that whole process of you being an athlete and then eventually after grad school or when I went to grad graduate school and I didn't have any more university eligibility. So I just naturally got into coaching to kind of keep myself in it. Certainly wasn't a career decision. It wasn't like, yeah, this is a good career. Um, um so but I, I kept with it and even then when i started working um in a non-related uh, a job non-related to sports uh, i still would coach and train and do stuff right so and then eventually i tra- transitioned into just working exclusively with sports um more on say an amateur level or working with athletes that are going to um you know olympics in a different sport you know it could be in, i work with everything from softball Field hockey, speed skating, bobsleigh, um, yeah, other skiing events, everything, like pretty much everything, and then, and then in your conventional ones, basketball, football, soccer, so mm-hmm. tennis, all those things, and and so after a while, you kind of get a feel for like, okay, this is what works for those sports, and it still came back to the fact that if people were faster, they were typically more effective, especially in field sports and court sports. So, um, you know, and this, this is something that I really wanted to get better at. I would say in the late nineties, mid to late nineties that I really focused on, I had done like more like long jump and triple jump as an athlete in in college. And, you know, I went in a couple of races and I think one of the things I always thought was like, I didn't spend enough time on the speed part. Mm -hmm. Like, not that we didn't spend time on it, but I really didn't deconstruct it as much as I should have and focused on that. Um, and I probably could have been a much better sprinter and runner, and it would have transferred to my 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 jumping events. So I think that was one of the things that kind of hung with me. And maybe that that's one thing that that kind of sticks with a lot of people who get into coaching is like I want to be better at coaching it than I was at doing it. Yeah. And um, and there's very few, I would say there's very few coaches who are really exceptional athletes like there's there there might be a few but you know most of the great coaches that you hear about like in football would be like bill belichick i don't even know if he played football or if he was any good um and uh phil jackson was obviously he played basketball and you know he wasn't the the greatest player but he played um and, and just you're just going through the list and i think there's a lot of people who got into coaching maybe because they weren't the best and they felt like they could always be a bit better and this is their way to, to do it. So, you know, I, I think I'm up there too in that regard. And then, you know, you just keep uh, working with different sports. You start writing about what you're doing and you get a little more attention around your philosophy and then got into working with pro sports, pro teams, mostly uh, NFL, American football, uh, some with MLS and soccer, some with ice hockey now, um, and basketball, NBA, and, and, and a lot of collegiate programs as well, Division I programs, and all of those sports. And the, the whole, again, like you said, the whole thrust of it has been around speed of performance and, and movement, um, but also the a lot of the injuries that come about with those types of activities as well and how do you get people back so a lot of return to play a lot of rehabilitation type work that I've basically integrated with the running approach so it is more of a running based approach for all the rehab and then on top of that I I have about 25 years experience working with electrical stimulation as part of the performance and the rehab rehab piece too so um, that's kind of my bag right now um, and then uh, other things, like a lot of people will call me just for like career advice or um, just general planning and strategic planning um, and just managing performance within teams. It's not just about the speed stuff. It's about everything now.
2: Um, where, are you, you're out of Canada now, or am I yep. wrong? Yep, yeah,
3: Va- like, Vancouver.
2: That's what I'm about. So, um, you know, one thing I didn't uh, say on the sort of the questions I mentioned, but um, the re- the, the, uh, how I like found out about you, I think was either through some sort of uh, uh, forum that I read about, and you got to tell me his first name again, because I forget, um, I think his last name is Francis, right?
3: Uh, Charlie Francis?
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I read a forum and then like, I think I caught your name from there. And because I obviously I'm I'm around a lot of soccer, you know, and, um, you know, fitness, soccer fitness is like the big, you know, thing. Like, how do you get the fittest, whatever. And I read something about him a long time ago that a lot of people use tempo running. Okay. I'm sure you've heard this a lot. Mm -hmm. Um, and then I think from there it was kind of like, uh, I read something and your name came up and then I started just kind of like reading about you. And I was like, Oh, he's, you know, you know, always talking about him. So like, what, what was your like sort of connection with him? Like, did you work with him at all? Or you just believed in a lot of his philosophies and have been able to use that now?
3: Um, I, I mean, a lot of it starts back to even when I was younger, and uh, anybody involved in track and field in Canada mm-hmm. was influenced by um, what was happening nationally, like at the upper levels in the national team. And mm-hmm. so that included the person that was his mentor was uh, Gerard Mock, who was from Poland originally. And so he had you know a reputation of developing track athlete sprinters in Poland in the 50s and 60s. And so then he was brought over to Canada to kind of, overhaul the system of coaching and and so he had coached a bunch of athletes and ultimately coaches who um led the way i guess for canada in the 1980s and so during the 70s and 80s that's when i was kind of coming up as an athlete that you know every you know even from being a young athlete to high school and collegiate and so you were influenced by um people like charlie francis who was taught by gerard mock and on what they were doing and obviously he had you know, some good athletes and that it, it kind of culminated in 1988 and the, the 100 meter scandal and all that. Um, but uh, what came out of that was that he obviously knew what he was talking about in terms of training. And I remember seeing him in 1986, do an in-person um, seminar for coaches in Vancouver and, and everything, you know, and I would have been like 17 years old. So everything he was saying made sense. And you're like, oh, okay, this guy's actually quite sharp. And again, I'll go back to my previous history with coaches. And you're like, I, it seems like my coach doesn't really know what they're doing or they're guessing or whatever. So this guy, he laid things out very, very logically. And then later after I finished um, being an athlete in the 90s, late 90s, um, you know, you're know, you you're trying to find out, okay, whatever happened to this guy? Because he was very knowledgeable, kind of went underground, disappeared. And um I remember going to a. I found out he was going to do a presentation down in Los Angeles, just outside of Los Angeles. And so uh, me and a friend went there and just, you know, flew down to Los Angeles and he did a two day seminar and then just kind of, again, learning from him, connecting with him. And then from 2001 on, I bet I had a relationship with him and started working with him. So I would go to Toronto and help him out with some stuff and help him out with his educational materials. And then we would tour around and do seminars and, um, and also coach some athletes. And that was about, you know, it wasn't quite 10 years, but certainly he, he passed in 2010. And, I, you know, was very close with him and his family up until 2010 and um, have kind of taken a lot of the stuff that I learned from him and again, like I said, it started probably in 1986, where you kind of learn all this stuff in the 80s, and then you know, culminates into working with him and doing some very high performance projects, and and just having time to spend to talk with somebody like that, mm-hmm. you know, you know, just on a daily basis was very very helpful because you could kind of ask all the questions you needed to ask and make sure you got a good sense of what he was saying, you know, and obviously you, you wish that he was still around because now you know, it's been 10 years since he passed. Um, I still have a lot of questions because now I'm getting into some of these areas where it's like, okay, let's do a deeper dive and let's find out more about what about this? What about this? Um, so now it's kind of me trying to figure it out based on the knowledge that I learned from him. Um, and I think that's 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 really helped me in terms of my base of knowledge around training. Um, just, just the philosophy around it. So, yeah. Um, I draw a lot. And even some of the, the, the courses that I teach and the presentation materials that I do still reference him as being, you know, a a pretty big influence.
2: Awesome. Yeah. I mean, um, I don't know exactly where it was. I think it might've been like a forum that someone had created for him, like on a website of his, and I was getting into like, you know, like you say, deeper dive into like fitness for, you know, soccer players. And, um, you know, ran across, like, the whole tempos and, you know, how he, how important they were for, like, I guess, low days. Um, but also there was, and I want to ask you about this, like, what's uh, his philosophy on, like, the intensive versus the extensive?
3: I mean, his his idea, and then just to make sure everybody understands the difference between intensive versus extensive. Yeah. Um, intensive would be something more along the lines of, like, you know, some pretty, not high velocity, but certainly fast enough that you would really get fatigued quickly. And then the recovery time isn't great enough. And so you're kind of working that, that lactic, anaerobic lactic energy system where, you know, things, you know, if your leg's burning and you want to vomit and all that. So Mm -hmm. that would be more of an intensive tempo or interval workout. And that could be like run a 300 as fast as you can or, you know, at 90%, 85, 90%, walk around, and do it again and do repeats and that really is taxing whereas the extensive tempo is more like let's do you know four to five by 100 at a nice 70 percent easy pace and you're working more the aerobic energy system and just trying to develop your cardiovascular um, abilities and capacity Um, so it's not as intense it's not like you're crossing over into that that sort of oxygen debt where you're you know getting all these problems and and kind of seizing up. You're just trying to keep it, you know, just like anybody trying to do basic heart rate monitor training. You're trying to stay within a certain heart rate range and just work on intervals that are probably more appropriate for something like soccer or any team sport where you are essentially doing intervals. It's not this continuous run. Yeah. Yeah. So.
2: Okay. And and he, uh, there was things about like, you know um, when you do those 100s or you know the more extensive one where you're building that aerobic capacity um you know there was different like ways that they were programmed but like when when you 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 program something like that like where's the like the the number or like you know the number for like say for instance soccer where would you stop say, increasing the, the distance, you know, over the course of like, let's say six or whatever weeks. Um, so like, say you start at like 4,000 for like week one, and then you sort of increase it from there. Like, what's the like cap that you see is most, you know, beneficial or, you know, you don't really need to hit, like go beyond this. Cause there's no point.
3: Yeah. I mean, with soccer, it's going to depend on a lot of things. It's going to depend on Obviously, the age of the athletes. If they're kids, you're not going to work them for quite as much volume as say, uh, you know, a, a pro player. Um, and you'll always hear like, oh, uh, an average pro player. And again, it varies by position, like defender, midfield, striker, whatever. But say, like a midfielder. Like I got a chance to uh, talk to um, Michael Bradley, who plays for Toronto and uh, is on the US national team. and he's known to run a lot. I don't know, but you know you'll hear the, uh, commonly like, oh 10 kilometers per game. right mm-hmm. and I think he's up around 12 or 13 kilometers and you know he tends to travel more um, on the field just based on the way he plays. So if you're doing a 10k run every time you play a game, you know you have to have some good aerobic capacity. So then off of that we came up with some just general guidelines of like every time you go out, uh, we're probably doing about 4,000 to five thousand meters, or four to five kilometers of total volume for tempo runs, right? So that seemed like a reasonable upper end, at least in the off season mm-hmm. when you're trying to build somebody up. So they should be able to go out and say it's uh, ten times four hundred that they're running. You know, that not necessarily how it would look, but you know they're doing ten by four hundred with appropriate breaks and just a nice, easy pace. So that's four kilometers. And they may do that two to three times a week. So for a soccer athlete, they're they're probably on the high end for overall volume. Yeah. Whereas a basketball player, maybe they're like four kilometers per game because the court's smaller, right? Um, so then you can just notch down what their volume would be, might be about two to 2.5 kilometers per tempo session. Uh, again, depending on position. So you're looking at, you know, and and I I guess that's where some of this GPS data is is useful, where you can look at per player, per position, and go, okay, that's a typical game for this guy, Mm -hmm. right? Um, And I think you have to be careful with that, because not every position is going to have the same demands. Um, So you you don't want to overload the goalkeeper, for instance. Like, Mm -hmm. hey, you don't have to do five kilometers, but they still should be in good shape. But, Mm you know, you have to just draw those lines. And and like I said, if you do have something like a GPS system to get an idea of what everybody's typical game load is, then you get a little more information on what you can do in practice and what you can do um, with their their running training. So I think you got to, you know, you got to have a good handle on what's happening in the game with your players.
2: So um, when it comes to like what you use as sort of like, the, I mean, exercise mode, whatever. Um, do you typically do when you do like tempo, like say extensive tempo, like the long ones, um, you know, everyone's like, Oh, the long steady state, you know, you, you, you just run for however long, right. You know, four or five miles, whatever. But I noticed that you prefer like these sort of you know, 400s, 100s, 300s type of things? Like, is it because you're kind of building the system, building the body system in a way that, because you, you know you're going to break and you're not constantly just running? Um, is that sort of like your philosophy on that? Or is that, you know, sort of like where you, Charlie? Yeah, kind of like, like
3: I, I would say you want to do both. But I, I, if I were to pick one, I probably have a little more emphasis on the interval piece, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, just exactly what you said. Like it's a little more close to what actually is going to happen in a game. Like you can't not watch a, a world-class soccer match and see most of the guys out there walking, right? Mm -hmm. Like, so, okay, great. So they're walking and then they might, you know, as the ball comes closer to them, they might pick up speed. And so, you know, there's not a lot of continuous long distance running going on out there. If there is, probably going to put somebody out of position or it's just not, you know, it's just not a good use of your energy. So if the ball is on the far side of the field in their end, and I'm a defender, I'm walking like I, you know, I'm at walk over here and get into better position. So, you know, but when I have to run, I have to run. So the velocity is probably going to be higher. So I'd rather probably do those shorter intervals at a higher velocity to get me ready for any game scenario than I would by doing a long distance run. It just, You know, it's just more compatible to what's happening on the field. Mm
2: -hmm. Yeah, I mean, that's what I figured. Um, It totally makes sense. Um, All right, so kind of going on to like a different, like, you know, more intense uh, idea, point of view. When it comes to like just full out, like sprint training, um, you know, I'm sure you do this with soccer players as well. Um, I know obviously way shorter distance, probably like twenties, thirties, forties and stuff like that. You know, how often are you, you know, programming this, you know, um, is it mostly in the off season? Do you still do a little bit in, in season to keep up like the hamstring, you know, uh, wear and tear and things like that? Or do you, or do you kind of manage it based on, especially in season, like their schedule and things like that?
3: Yeah, like in-season, and again, it's, um, obviously it's a little strange right now, but Mm -hmm. in a typical in-season period, um, you're probably trying to do some sort of maintenance work. And again, it depends on what they're doing in practice. Like if they um, have some energy freed up because the practice schedule between games isn't too, you know, ridiculous, um, then you could do some short sprint work once a week, twice a week, whatever you can. Mm-hmm. And, and you know you don't have to go too far cuz again most of the sprints that are happening on the field aren't too um too long like you know um you'll see the odd you know long ball that somebody has to run onto but um for the most part 10 15 meters yards is probably not a uh, a bad distance to prep prep at right so I know people that like a friend of mine, he works in uh, uh, for Toronto um, and he worked for AC Milan and Fiorentina and all these different teams in Italy. He's Italian and he, he he has a good job. He does a good job working on five and 10 meter sprints with his guys a lot of the time and just getting those repetitions up and uh, they give him a lot of good feedback. So, so it really depends on your situation. And Mm -hmm. if you have, you know, players that, just need that short range speed, you're just going to focus on that when you can. Certainly in the off season, you can do more work. You can do it three times a week. You could maybe get out to 20, 30 meters and 40 meters, but you're always trying to balance things off against what their demands are in the games, their travel demands, and also what's happening in practice. Right. And, Mm -hmm. and and that may vary from team to team. Mm -hmm. So do you, do you only work with, I mean, I'm, uh,
2: I'm assuming you don't work too much with like youth athletes.
3: Um, I mean, I have in the past, but you know, now uh, I, if I'm working with younger people, it's usually um, associated with my own kids. So um, mm-hmm. I go out, train them, they have friends or we have a group that we train. So, uh, you know, I'm still, you know, well aware of what the differences are for young athletes, but A lot of the time with the younger athletes, we're just working on, okay, this is what your technique should look like and feel like. And we just want to reproduce that and just make sure that you give them a good foundation of, of, of just sprint technique and understanding how to run. Um, Because again, that's something that maybe I didn't have enough of. Mm -hmm. Um, So, so yeah, I, I think that's a huge, um, area of focus for me even working with kids is like let's make sure that they have a good foundation of technique and understand what it should feel like and look like so we do a lot of video show them okay this is what you look like after that rep this is what i want you to fix and so having that constant back and forth of like how it should look what they look like Mm -hmm. and then making that connection i think is pretty important
2: yeah Yeah, it's it's funny that you uh, talk about video because I do that a lot with the kids that I work with. I I got that idea from somebody that um, I used to work with a few years ago. And I think it's I think for kids, uh, especially, it's really helpful. Um, You know, you know, it's quick feedback versus like, hey, you got to do this. I think it's something that they can. I think seeing it better for the younger kids is a little bit easier for them to like replicate the next time around versus like, you know, an older kid that's probably been with you for, you know, 10, 12 years. It's easier for them. Like, okay, I understand. And then make those changes. What, um, what, what things, especially for like younger kids, do you typically work as far as like technique goes? Like, I mean, you don't have to like list a whole bunch of things, but like, you know, are there specific things that you notice that a lot of kids, you know, do, Incorrectly that you commonly fix.
3: Yeah, some of it is just around posture. So a lot of the time, you'll see kids like uh, ducking their head or tucking their head because they think that'll make them go faster. But it, you know, it can actually create problems and 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 um, take away power out of the hip if your posture is rounded. So uh, I think with a lot of the drills we do, we're teaching like where to look. Like, okay, when you sprint, you know, you're not looking up at the horizon, but you're not looking down at your shoes It's somewhere in, in between. Um, and then just getting them to cue everything and and set everything with their arm rhythm, like learn how to set your rhythm with your arms, what range you have to go through. And that usually transfers down to the legs really well. You don't really have to talk about the legs too much if you're coaching through the arms very well. Mm. Um, so those, I mean, I would say those are the two biggest things, um, and part of their technique has to be that they just need to get stronger. So by 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 doing the drills and doing the sprints, you may not have beautiful technique at the beginning, but certainly as they get stronger, they're able to get into those positions and have better posture and move their legs through and lift their knee high enough and put enough force into the ground. So I think that's, that's something that people don't spend enough time on is just, hey, let's just keep doing this because the more you do it, the better you get. Um, You know, albeit with some decent coaching and tips um, if you see something wrong. But I think, uh, unfortunately for kids, you know, people try to make things fun and exciting. And it's like, well, guess what? A lot of the really good stuff is going to be boring as heck and (laughs) you got to get them to do more of it, right? So it's like any skill, like, you know, um, I'm sure everybody wants to shoot in basketball, wants to shoot three pointers or dunk the ball, but you know, can you do all these little things really well, all these basic things that aren't as sexy? I would yeah. say it's the same in running. Yeah.
2: So. And, 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 and when you're talking about strength and I mean, this, this, we can talk about this a little bit. When you're talking about strength, we're talking about like, not just getting stronger from sprint work. We're talking, you know, going to the gym, doing like a, a, a good strength program they'll build like overall you know full body strength and things like that
3: yeah yeah i mean uh, the the soccer culture hasn't always been about weightlifting and the gym and all that Mm -hmm. i think it's changing a bit Mm -hmm. um you know so i think you have to do a little bit of everything like obviously you're focusing on your sprinting you're doing explosive work you know, you're getting them familiar with basic lifts in the weight room that they can do for lower body, upper body, um, you know, and it, it doesn't have to be anything too fancy. Like if somebody just squatted and pulled something and pressed something, uh, they're probably going to be okay. There's no, um, based on my experience, it, regardless of how skillful you are in the weight room, there isn't always, a tr- there really isn't a transfer onto the field because it's so different, right? Right. So you want people to have that work ethic to go in and put their time in the gym, but you're not making them to be like Olympic weightlifters or anything like yeah. that. You just you know put the work in, just like we talked about the cardio. You got to do the intervals, you got to do the long runs, and you gotta you got to put the work in. And it's not sexy, but we still have to have that part of our program. And a lot of this would be just even for injury prevention uh, in terms of developing strength. Mm-hmm. So yeah,
2: exactly. Um, so when it comes to kind of going back to the sprint work, do you use any sort of modalities when you, um, you know, I mean, of course, like short distance stuff, nothing really, uh, uh, more of the interval I'm talking, you know, short sprints, you know, 20, 30 yards are, are, are you using any like sleds bands, um, for obviously people that can, you know, use it or are at that level of using it. Um, you know, I know there's a lot of people that talk about kids can use them, uh, you know, sled work and all that kind of stuff. So do you use that stuff or is it just mostly body weight and just working on, you know, certain techniques, speed and distances?
3: Um, Yeah, we'll, we'll use it. Like if something as simple as like, hey, do we have a, a hill that we can run up? This is probably the easiest if it's, you know, close to where you train and you have you have some sort of incline or hill mm-hmm. because that's going to provide a you know good amount of resistance and if you have a group of kids if you have to you know I don't know how many sleds you need for a full soccer team but it's going to be significant and you got to set them up sure. you got to make sure the, they're the right weight um and so it's just I, I you know I'm just naturally lazy so if i'm working with 10 athletes bringing out five sleds is not you know something i want to do um so we'll do again We'll use partner resistance. They can help resist each other on the shoulders or on the waist. We use like big, thick stretch bands um, to do some of our drills and some of our short accelerations, say over five or 10 yards. So there's different things that you can do to add that resistance um, mm-hmm. that, you know, we'll throw med balls as part of a start, run after the med ball, um, but that they're all kind of building that strength that's specific to accelerating and starting. So. Um, and i'm not i'm not anti sled i'm just saying like if i now and then i'll use it with my kids but i've got you know two kids mm-hmm. um they can just bring it back and forth right drag it back and forth but even then um you have to make sure that it's the right weight it's not too heavy it's not too light um so it's a lot of work um to do that especially yeah. if you've got a big team yeah so if you can find ways to do it without all of that headache around the equipment you know uh, I think it's, you're, you're just going to get better overall compliance because, you know, it, sometimes you'll go like, oh, shit, I don't want to do those sled things again because I got to drag them out. And so yeah. there'll be a deterrent just by having to use that equipment. Yeah. Um, so it's just like even, um, um, like, it, the, I find this sometimes with weight training, if I'm doing you know, remote coaching with people. It's like, okay, do you have access to a weight room? And during the, you know, cold COVID thing, a lot of people didn't have a gym to go to. Yeah. So then I had to come up with other things they could do outside to compensate for that. and Maybe more jumps, maybe more throws. So you'll always have to be um, aware that not everybody will have access to that equipment. Um, So you want to have backup plans. You want to have, you want to be flexible, but still be effective. Yeah.
2: Yeah. I mean, that, that's, that's, I, I totally agree with you. Um, I am just curious cause you know, everyone has their, you know, sort of way of building, you know, their sort of sprint program or speed program, um, and, you know, using different, you know, techniques or different modalities. But yeah, I mean, I totally agree with the, the hill sprints. I think those are, you know, really effective again, if you have, um, a hill that is, you know, that is a, a decent incline, but like, is there a specific incline that you have found, you know,
0: uh, or, you know,
3: eight to, yeah, eight to 10% grade or like that's usually five to six degrees. And so some people are like, Oh, how do I measure that? It's like, well, most phones now have a bit of an, you know, the accelerometer in there. And if you tilt it, it'll, it'll have, you can download like a, an inclinometer or a, the uh, protractor type level mm-hmm. app that'll do that. You're just like, oh, look, that's five degrees, right? So, um, you know, there's no way you, 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 you know, and, and, and a lot of the time it doesn't have to be that steep. Like if you eyeball it, you're like, okay, because it does slow you down quite a bit. You don't, want to, you don't want it to be like this, where it's like, it looks like they're hiking up the hill. You want it to be, you know, they still have some acceleration and some velocity behind it. So it doesn't take much. So, and, and, and you probably don't even go like that far. It's probably like 10, 20, 30. Yeah. 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 You don't need like to go like 400 meters up a hill. Um, Yeah. Yeah, There's this massive hill that um, is, is
2: around here that a lot of people use for, you know, it's hill sprints. And they, I have arguments all the time about how like, I mean, yes, they can be, it can be used for multiple different things. It can be used for leg strength. If you don't go to a gym, cause it's a long, it's a really long distance hill. Yep. But if, you know, you're working on, like you said, speed, you know, running up the hill, halfway up the hill, you're more than likely going to like start jogging and it just comes kind of pointless.
3: Yeah. Again, like if, if, if you want to work on speed, obviously you're working 10, 20, 30 yards, meters, um, but yeah, if you want to work on just general fitness and muscular endurance, you can use that hill to run a three hundred meter distance or whatever two hundred um, and it works well like it does get you stronger so but you you just got to be careful again if you 're going to work with a soccer team, you have to think about, okay, well, if I run you know six to eight or ten reps up a three hundred yard hill they 're going to be pretty tired after that, mm. and then is that going to affect the next training session or the practice or is that they're going to be really flat? Um, And and do we need to run 300 yards up a hill in the game? No. So you're always balancing things off and going like, okay, maybe we'll do that for a phase in the off season where it won't impact, you know, the skill and the speed and all that. So you're making choices around what works, what's convenient, what's appropriate. Um, But just because it's like a big long hill and the kids will look really tired after Probably isn't a good enough excuse, right? So, and I think that's that's where people get kind of lost. Or like, oh, that was tough. Yeah, okay, but you know, you know, and then <laughs> and then I'll always have people say like, well, Messi does it, and it's like, well, I, I, well, one, I don't even, I can't even confirm that, right? So I yeah, don't know I, if he does. Like, and I would say he probably doesn't because that's not his game, right? So, yeah. um, so I think you have to be careful sometimes, right?
2: Yeah, I I, I, I totally agree with that. Um, kind of changing topics real quick. Um, I know that you probably work with a lot of, you know, higher level athletes. What are you sort of doing, you know, sort of this like return to play post, you know, COVID, I mean, you know, some of the leagues are still going, some of the leagues aren't, some college kids are playing, some aren't, you know, with the ones that you have been working with. I'm just kind of curious, like, You know, what have you been able, what have you been doing or have you just been working with them through this whole time because you work with them remotely and they're still being,
3: um, yeah, like uh, it depends on the, the, the team, the sport, and you're always trying to figure out, um, you know, like as an example, I was talking to somebody about working with some NBA players because most of the. Teams are done. Yeah. There's two teams left, right? So um, they, I think they're going to figure out. Okay, once the final is over, then we'll get back to training. But they don't really know when they're going to start up again. It might be January. It might be February. But nobody said definitely because we don't know. We don't know what's going to happen with, you know, the the further outbreaks, a second wave, a third wave, or all that. So I think they're just trying to go. Yeah, you know maybe February, same with the NHL. Um, So now people are going, well, we have about 10 weeks to prepare for that. And they're putting together plans and maybe some of them are working with the team. Some of them are gone home to work with their personal trainer. So, you know, I'm just trying to work out those details first and figure out what kind of timelines we have. Because there's no sense in coming up with a grand plan unless you really know what's going to happen. So I think that's where everybody's at right now. I figure um, a lot of people thought they'd be further ahead and we'd be past this, but you know I, I've been telling people to mentally prepare themselves that they might be you know might be an, another whatever six months or spring of twenty twenty one. I don't know, but uh, don't don't set yourself up for failure. You know, stay in shape, do what you can. Um, I think there's been less of a. Uh, uh, a run on weight equipment and gym equipment for the home. Like I think hopefully they're getting restocked and all that, but that was a problem too. Like I can't find a barbell. I can't find a dumbbell. Um, I I do some work for the true form treadmills, the curved treadmills. And, you know, I was trying to get them to different teams and get, you know, you know, so people could run indoors. Um, and maybe even during the winter, that'll be something that people have to do. Right? Um, so, you know, Nobody has the answer. It's, it's you work with a mostly
2: players that are in Canada, or like, are you able to work with other players outside
3: of the? Yeah, I would say mostly, mostly North America. Oh, okay. Yeah, U, U.S. and so it's um, it's just making sure that that you give them a plan that works for their circumstances, because it's so easy to go like, you know, if. If I'm a weightlifting guy, I'm going to probably give you mostly weightlifting exercises, right? Mm-hmm. And if I'm a sprint guy, I tend to focus more on that part, like the acceleration, the the movement on the field. Uh, and guess what? That seems to work better. Um, nobody's lifting weights on the field. I'm not saying don't lift weights. I'm just saying, you know, let's be practical about all of this, right? So, um, and I've worked now for five years with the Kansas City Chiefs. Nobody's complaining about their speed on the field. So <laughs>
0: um,
3: so I think, you know, uh, you have to start opening your mind up to, okay, what is going to work? What, what are you going to get the b- most bang for your buck? Um, and it may not necessarily work with everyone's philosophy, but you, you got you to start adapting, right? Um, and that's what we've learned, I think, in the last six months is that if you can't adapt, um, you know, you're, you're, you're going to be in trouble. So. Um, just this question just popped in my head. So,
2: okay. So we, we have like two things here. We're talking about strength and speed. I mean, obviously I, I, I don't think you can't live with one or the other. Um, but do you, do you find that, um, and you probably know this cause you've been around way longer than I have, um, especially with the higher level athletes, do you find that um, there needs to be a both in the the program or can you just live with just straight sprinting and it just kind of like, obviously you got to program it. I'm not just saying all the time, sprint, 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 but like, you know, doing it properly. um, Will that lead to less injuries faster? um, Or do you find that you need a little bit of the strength work to help you know, get over that curve type of thing.
3: Yeah, you're, you're really, you're, you're, I mean, it's going to change, right? Your emphasis mm-hmm. will change. Mm-hmm. Like Obviously, when you're in season, mm-hmm. um, you're focusing on tactical, technical, um, and the demands of the game, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then you might do a little baseline of like strength work to keep and to maintain. And you mm-hmm. might do a baseline of speed work to maintain and some yeah. extra aerobic. So there's a, a bunch of things that are still Train, but they're just a baseline of maintenance. Whereas, you know, the the technical tactical is the most important. And I'd say the same for the NFL. Like, you know, what plays you're going to run, and you know how you tackle people, um, is is probably more important in season. But you're still lifting, you know, two times a week, thirty minutes each session. You're still doing some sprints as part of your warm up. You're doing, you know, some conditioning. So I, I think it's it's the same uh, with what you're talking about. It's that some, you know, probably early in the off-season, you're doing more strength work, right? You're going to you build that base of strength. And then as you get further in, you might transition to more speed work or more explosive work. Um, and then you drop the weights down so that something else can come up. It's a bit of a whack-a-mole thing, right? Where yeah. some stuff has to come up and when something comes up, other stuff has to come down. But yeah. you're not not, not everything can coexist at once. Yeah. Um, if, if if you try to do that, it's usually going to end badly. Yeah. Like I, I know a lot of people are like, oh, you know, we want to keep squatting heavy and deep. And well, guess what? Those people end up having more groin and hamstring injuries because when you start running fast, it's an entirely different software program mm-hmm. in terms of like the rate at which things turn on and off. Um, so, I think you just have to be careful with what your emphasis is. You know, you might have a phase which you have a, an acceleration emphasis. You might have a phase that's more of a explosive emphasis or a a high speed emphasis. But just make sure you make those adjustments so that you understand that this is our priority this phase or this month, and then we'll still just maintain those other qualities. Yeah. So.
2: So and but you know, kind of still continuing with so. It, um, as far as like, like, like a person wanting to get really fast, like this is sort of what you would say, would you suggest what you just, what you just said sort of like, yeah, I mean, strong, it, 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 get that build that, that strength and then focus more as you go on, you move on, you focus more on speed and power and, and the things sort of work themselves out type of thing.
3: Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's going to vary based on the need of that athlete. Like you may have an athlete to, Hey, once he gets up and running, he's really good. It's just those first four steps that he doesn't have that pop or that acceleration. And that may be a strength issue. It might be a technical issue, but you're always trying to figure out what the issue is and then address it. It's not as easy as like, and some people are just slow. Let's be honest. Um, so you do it be genetics as well, yeah, yeah. You're like, okay, this, you know, so you still work on it, yeah. Okay. Um, but you might get more bang for your buck working on a technical, tactical, tactical thing for that athlete, right? Like, it, it's not, you know, it's not that everybody on the field has to be blazing fast, right? You know, certain people have to, and other people can be mediocre uh, because they're good at other things. Um, so I think as long as you kind of go through the process of evaluating what somebody's strengths and weaknesses are, and then building that plan around that. It's fine. Yeah. Um, All right. So
2: sort of kind of bringing it to a close here. I just want to quickly ask, you know, when it comes, I know I'm kind of coming back to the youth aspect of things. um, And when it comes to a youth athlete, um, you know, what, at what age do you think it's, it's, it's appropriate for them to, you know, you know, work on speed, work on strength, you know, working on these, all these like movement based patterns and things like that in order for them to, you know, keep excelling at their sport. You know, there's a lot of kids that are really good at their sport, you know, eight, nine, 10 years old. And then like, you know, the mom and dad are like, Oh, we need to, you know, get them into the weight room or the gym or whatever. Do you think it's, do you think it's necessary? I mean, personally, I think so. But, you know, everyone has their sort of opinion about what, you know, some of these kids uh, should be, at what age they should be exposed to. Yeah.
3: I mean, I, I always, again, I'm biased. I'm going to say, like, I think you should work on their running technique and give them some, some you know, basic fundamentals to develop. And that's what I do with my kids. And then we didn't really start lifting weights, until my son was probably, you know, 14, 15. And what we found was that um, his weights have shot up, but I think it's because we have really worked on the sprint piece and, um, you know, he has derived some strength from just doing that. Yeah. Um, so then when we get, you know, whereas if we got him really strong in the weight room and then we said, well, let's let's teach him how to run. I think that that doesn't work quite as well. Um so, um, you know, but I was talking to my wife and we, um, I think last year around this time, I was happy if my son who was 15 at the time could bench press like 115 pounds or something. Right. And so we tested him like last week and he's up to, two, to 221 pounds for his bench press. Right. And he's only 172 pounds. And so that, that wasn't because we did this like ridiculously tough weight training program, we, um, we just kind of did it. We just sort of every week we try to go up a little bit and just, you know, it wasn't this, you know, ridiculous, uh, serious bench press program because we're doing other lifts too, but it was just kind of an indicator for us that, Hey, he's getting stronger. And I think a lot of it's being helped by doing the sprint work, which is very intense. Um, so, um, our goal is not to have a great bench press. Our goal is to get him stronger and Become a better athlete. And then when we test his bench press, we're like, oh, shit, that works. Right. You know, so, um, so I, I, I still think just even based on that personal experience, you know, work on acceleration, work on technique, work, work on relaxation, uh, during that whole process to execute, you know, you want them to be able to execute all this stuff and make it look easy. Um, that's, that's what you're shooting for. Um, And I think the other stuff is, is so much easier to develop, even like the endurance, like endurance, you know, is probably one of the easier things to develop, Mm -hmm. but working on speed and technique takes a lot more time and patience. So you might as well start a little earlier on that. And it doesn't have to be crazy. Even if you do it one day a week where you're like, okay, this is how you do a marching drill. This is how you do, you know, this is where I want you to look with your head when we do an acceleration, you know, and that's why the hills work really well. Hey, get a kid to go run up a hill. Their technique is usually better in that scenario when they're running up a hill, it holds them in position better. Um, so yeah.
2: I have a side, well, side note question. Um, when it comes to, cause you're talking about technique, when it comes to like foot, you know, when, when, when it hits the ground, um, I've seen, I've worked with a couple kids where like they, when they're running and I've slowed down their video and they've like really seen it um, where they're hitting like with their, their heel first and then going down. Yep. Um, When you, when you see that, like what is that like, what does that tell you in that, in that person's like sort of mechanics, I guess.
3: Um, uh, I mean, they just, again, they just haven't been taught Mm -hmm. how to run. Right. And, Mm -hmm. and you're not, you know, you don't want people heel striking mm-hmm. for the most part because that's gonna put more of a braking force in, right? Mm-hmm. And it it tends to be indicative of somebody over striding too. There's reaching too much. Okay. So, you know, you have to have a, a proper progression of drills and teach them where to land on their foot, because if you land, you know, more towards the middle or ball of your foot, you're gonna get more of an elastic response, right? Whereas if you land with the heel, that's your skeleton just like clunk, right? Yeah. Um so the the only thing is that they have to balance that off with how they change direction and do things on the field because sometimes you got to plant your heel to decelerate and change direction and be stable because if you're always up on the balls of your feet you're going to roll your ankle or you're just not going to be strong when somebody tries to body up against you right so mm-hmm. i think you know teaching them all those things that there's different scenarios when you want to run fast you want to be on the more on the balls of your feet or, and, and you want to be more elastic and light when you decelerate, when you're pushing on somebody, you're going to be lower your hip and, you know, have a stronger base of support. So, um, and some kids do that really well naturally. Yeah. But some kids have to be taught.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Awesome, man. Um, well, I, I really appreciate this, Derek. I know it's been a, you know, a while since I reached out to you, but I really appreciate it. Um, And a lot of great info for the people that check out my podcast. Um, What's the best place for people to just kind of get, you know, info from you, learn from, you know, what you do? Because I know you, you're very, you know, you, you put a lot of stuff out on Twitter, on Instagram, things like that. Like, what what's your best, like, you know, way of connecting?
3: Yeah, on Instagram or Twitter, I think it's the easiest one is at Derek, D-E-R-E-K, M Hansen, H-A-N-S-E-N, so M for Matthew, Derek M Hansen. So that's, I'll try to put up a lot of information on Instagram. It seems to be an easy way to put up short clips and yeah. and just make it very visual. And okay. then on the website is, uh, I have two websites. One is sprintcoach.com and the other is runningmechanics.com. And the sprint coach uh, website is more directed at you know uh, cons- consulting and work with teams, work with individuals who want to do online consulting whereas the running mechanics that was initially um, going out and teaching in-person courses and now I'm just spending time converting all of that to online so it will be more of an online course destination awesome. um, and then hopefully everything kind of corrects itself and we can get back to normal life and I can do some in-person stuff but we'll see. That's awesome.
2: Well, I'll put all that stuff in the uh, show notes. Um, and then when I post um, something on Instagram, I'll definitely put that that information in there. Um, but cool. other than that, I appreciate it. And um, look forward to talking to you too, man. Likewise. Thank you. Right. You're welcome, Derek. Have a Take good care, Take care. You too. Bye-bye. Bye.
0: Thanks for listening to Train to Perform with Julian Sissman. Learn how you can work with Julian in a personal training session, either online or in person, at prepareforperformance.com. And follow on social media for more tips on training, fitness, and sports performance on Twitter at jsissman underscore PFP and Instagram at prepareforperformance.